Welcome to Finsider Radio. This is MC Money. I'm joined by certain the creepy soccer dad and Rosen Houts. And yes, you heard that right. Rosen Houts, new nickname for Houts, self-proclaimed new nickname. He told me he wanted me to call that him as the NFL draft approaches. And as the rumors keep picking up steam in terms of the Dolphins, heavy interest in Josh Rosen. And I will say it again, and I will say it plenty of more times. If you've been listening to Finsider Radio, you were one of the first to know way back in March. From Tony Pauling, the Dolphins loved Baker Mayfield, but they loved Josh Rosen almost just as much, if not more. And at that time, Pauling was trying to figure out who they loved more. And at that time, he also said here right on Finsider Radio, the Dolphins are going to try to trade up to get one of them. And as we've heard the smoke the past few weeks, the past week or so, they are in fact looking at moving up to draft one of them, depending on if they get to five or six. And the smoke is going to only continue until the night of the draft and we see how the board shakes out. No matter what, if the Dolphins stay at number 11, they're going to get a premium player. We're going to talk more about the draft in just a little bit, but first up, the NFL schedule released Thursday night, and the Dolphins schedule, as with many others, leaked throughout the day. It's crazy how much of a phenomenon this schedule release has come for the NFL. They had a countdown clock on the NFL Network the entire day, I don't know that I didn't check the ratings on the schedule release show. I can't imagine they're crazy big just because the schedule leaks so much throughout the day. Teams get the schedule a few days before. Obviously, they get, they get their graphics departments getting ready and gearing up their video departments, all that crazy stuff that they do with their schedule releases. The Houston Texans did a phenomenal job doing backyard baseball, but in the backyard football theme. And so from there, obviously, a lot of people are seeing the schedule. Leaks get out. They tell their friends. Their friends tell other people, blah, 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 blah. It just ends up all getting out there before the actual schedule release itself. So for the Dolphins, they open up at home against the Tennessee Titans. I think that's a pretty favorable matchup. It's going to be pretty even, I think, going into it. Dolphins, I believe, opened up at minus one and a half, minus two, depending on which book you looked at. But Mike Vrabel, head coach for the Tennessee Titans, first NFL game, all new coordinators. So that could be a both advantage and disadvantage for the Titans, a disadvantage because they're all getting their feet wet in a regular season game, a advantage because nobody's going to have tape on these guys and the way they run things. Obviously, they'll have tape on Vrabel's defense in Houston, but different personnel, different style, different schemes, perhaps based on the personnel that he has now in Tennessee. They then go on the road to face the Jets. Then they're back home to face the Raiders at a 1 o'clock game, which is nice. The Raiders hopefully will be experiencing some jet lag as they come from the West Coast. And then that two road trips in a row at the Patriots, at the Bengals, before coming back home to play the Bears and the Lions in consecutive weeks. They're at home on October 21st against the Lions, like I just stated, and they're on the road on Thursday night against the Texans. Good thing for that is it's not a road game, then another road game. They are at home for two weeks, and then they don't. they only have to travel just a little bit east of them, West, sorry, I, I failed geography in middle school. West of them to Houston. Then they're back home against the Jets and on the road versus the Packers before their bye week, week 11. Week 12 at the Colts. Week 13 at the Bills. Then, at the, then the Patriots both at home. Week 15, they travel to Minnesota. Indoor game versus the Vikings. Week 16, home against the Jaguars. Week 17, they finish the season off in snowy Buffalo, which, by the way, the Dolphins requested to play on the road week 17. Obviously, the NFL doing them no favors by giving them Buffalo. It would have been nice to have either the Vikings last week of the season or the Jaguars. 
on the road, obviously much more favorable climates, but it is what it is. First thoughts for you, Sutton, on the NFL schedule, at least specifically with the Miami Dolphins. Well, thank you for admitting that you failed geography because I'm pretty sure you've failed at spelling and failed at pronouncing quarterback and probably a few other subjects that you're not letting us be privy to. Math, but math. Um, we'll I just failed math. <laughs> Twice. But anyway, it, it, I mean, if you – yeah, that, that week one is an intriguing matchup just because I think we're – Pretty even in a lot of senses, I think. But when you look at the, the, the ending stretch, if you're looking at, you know, comparing it to last year's records, which is not always smart to do, but if you're, if you're looking at the previous playoff appearances, you, you have Buffalo, New England, Minnesota, Jacksonville, Buffalo in a five-game stretch. We've seen uh, schedule reveals over the last couple of years where we think, oh, man, that ending stretch is going to be brutal for us. And so, and really, it's going to be a good barometer. If if we are a good football team, we're going to be winning those December games, and we're going to be playing into the new year. And if we're not a good football team, we're probably going to be losing those games, and we're not going to be going anywhere. So I really like the fact that it's going to come to those last few games of the season that's really going to determine everything for us, and we're going to be going against division rivals. We're going to be going against – uh, good quality football teams at this point in time. Obviously, a lot of things can happen with injuries and such. But when you look at that final five games, it looks like a fairly brutal stretch. Yeah, I got to agree. And just overall, I mean, at the beginning of the year, at this point in time, none of us know what these teams are going to be, who they're going to draft, and how those teams will shape up. But on paper, I mean, this isn't a favorable schedule. I mean, I know it's kind of the teams we all knew that we were going to play. Uh, it's kind of the way we kind of saw things shape up. But the Dolphins, they, they don't have an easy schedule this season. I, I'm going to pretend that the NFL screwed them. Uh, those last few games are going to be brutal. And whether or not the Dolphins look more like the 2016 team, the 2017 team should be – it should be obvious pretty pretty quickly. I mean, we play uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's cousin Donnie, Donnie's Titans week one. Uh <laughs> is, it, is it really Leonardo DiCaprio's cousin? I've been calling that for a while. I don't think that's we'll, we'll pretend that it is. Jets, oh, Oakland, New England, the the Chicago, and their uh, newly reshaping offense. I mean, you just see a, a pretty solid schedule and a bunch of good teams that those games can go either way. So uh, we're going to see what Adam Gase and this team really are this season and. I mean, you see, see some predictions. You got two and fourteen. I think that's a bit crazy. But if this team can finish above eight and eight, or even around that eight and eight parameter, I mean, that's pretty good given the games they have ahead of them. So, like I said, you can't really, you really can't judge it right now. You got to wait till after the draft and see how things shape up throughout OTAs, training camp, and preseason. But this is a tough schedule. A lot of good football teams, and it's going to be interesting to see if Miami can, you know, still be battling for a playoff spot when you got that last six game stretch. So I'm excited for the season and just glad that this schedule release came out. I mean, they, they hyped this thing up like it was the draft. And I think everyone kind of knew the schedule before the, the show even came on at eight o'clock. I know they were talking about the game, the first week of the season, who the Eagles were going to play. Everyone knew who the Eagles were playing. It, it just seemed like a joke. And like you said, Kanata, it's, it's, it'd be interesting to know what the ratings were because to sit there and watch a two hour special NFL network where they just slowly page to reach each team's schedule. I mean, that's freaking brutal. 
Two two quick things that I noticed also before you take back over MC Money. Week 11 bye, I, I think a lot of players are going to like that. So we were talking about that uh, the last five games there. It's going to be really important to have that that late season bye, which we are not accustomed to having. And we're not playing in London this year. Booyah. Yeah, how you were saying that the schedule predictions this early two and fourteen, I saw a six and ten as well. I think that's absolutely ludicrous to be predicting schedules three months before the start of the NFL season, before training camp, one week before the NFL draft. Teams are going to change, not radically, but some teams could change radically come Thursday night. Whether it's a team moving up for a quarterback, or a team moving up for a premium player, or a team moving back, a team not filling all their needs in the draft, so much can change between now and the first week of the NFL season. Hell, look at the Dolphins, for example. Ryan Tannehill injures his ACL last year in training camp. All those schedule predictions are completely out the window, so I think they're absolutely stupid. When I look at scheduling this early in the year, I think of two things. One, the schedule is never as easy as it seems, nor is it as hard as it ever seems. We Countless times, we'll get to a game and we'll say, oh, we thought this was going to be a really tough game back when the schedule was, re- was released in April, but this guy, this guy, this guy is injured, and that guy, that guy, that guy is injured, or this team is not doing everything they thought other people thought they would be doing, or they're struggling, or the players have regressed. So there will be plenty of instances on this schedule where we either come to a point where like, wow, this game is not as hard as we thought it was going to be, or the very opposite was, wow, this game is a lot harder than we thought it was going to be. Just look at the Bills last year. Everyone thought that was an easy sweep. The Bills were very good last year. So don't discount anybody at this time of the year. You never know how it's going to shake out. So when I look at, you know, when I'm looking at the schedule, I look at start times. I'm kind of glad the Dolphins only have one primetime game. I'm not a huge fan of primetime games. I know some people love them. I know some players love them. But for me, uh, you know, just reading everything and and being involved and in covering the NFL, we know that it throws off the rhythm of these players when they're in prime time. The Dolphins have never been a great prime time team, anyways. So they got that one obligatory Thursday game against the Houston Texans. I think it helps that they're home two weeks in a row before that game, and they're not traveling. You know, let's say from Detroit or from New York, where they're getting home late Sunday night. And then by Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday morning, they're turning around and flying back out. So that is definitely going to help them there. What I am concerned about is this. Week six, they play the Chicago Bears. The Chicago Bears have a bye in week five. Then they play the Lions right after in week seven. The Detroit Lions have a bye in week six. So basically, they got two weeks in a row where they're playing teams coming off a bye. Not ideal for a team that hasn't had their bye yet and won't have their bye to week 11, hasn't had their mini bye with a Thursday night game. And so they're going to get two teams back-to-back who are not well-rested or well-refreshed, but very much so rested in terms of having that opportunity to heal a bit and having that extra week off and having time to adjust. So that is going to be a disadvantage for Miami there. So that three-game stretch can be really tough. I wouldn't be surprised if they go one and two in that stretch. Unfortunately, you know, the Titans, I think they should be able to handle business at home. I think that's a pick them game. Jets are a divisional rival game. You never want to discount any of that. I think the Raiders coming from the West coast 
is going to be tough for the Raiders to handle. Then you go go up to Foxborough, and you know you never know what team you're going to get at that time. But all in all, I think it's a decent schedule. I think it's a nice schedule. Uh, there's really no huge advantage for the Dolphins in terms of the early season heat. Uh, the Tennessee Titans, they're kind of down south. They're probably used to it, although you're not used to the humidity. You're playing the Raiders, uh, who are used to the hot weather. You're traveling up to New York and New England when it's still warm outside in September. So really nothing crazy there. You're, you're traveling to Houston. That's a warm spot. You do travel to Green Bay in November. It shouldn't be too, too cold at that point. But overall, favorable schedule. Any last words on the schedule before we jump to our next part? I just want to say, uh, hopefully, we get that buy. I know last season, I think we had a later buy, and then Mother Nature kicked in and yeah, was a real bitch and ruined things. So we ended up getting that week one buy and <laughs> play sixteen games in a row. So let's just hope that uh, that buy in week eleven, it'd be it'd be great to have that, and let's just hope uh, weather permitting. Yeah, when we've talked to some of the vets before, they, they seem to prefer the, the late season buy. So hopefully we can uh, uh, hopefully that works out in our favor. The only disadvantage to a late season buy is the team doesn't have time to adjust it and tweak things. We often hear about teams, you know, resetting a little bit, doing a little self-scouting during a bye week, adjusting some things, tweaking something. So the Dolphins won't get that chance until week 11, week 12 to show it off. But on the flip side, the players will be well rested going into the last stretch of the season, which hopefully the Dolphins will be squarely in the mix for a playoff run. Besides the schedules that were released, the Miami Dolphins also released their uniform tweaks. Tom Garfinkel had tweeted out earlier in the day that they were going to announce it at 12 o'clock noon. Brian Miller of FinFanatic.com ruining it for the Dolphins by releasing the photos that he received around 11.30 p.m., Leaking out that new uniform design, Tom Garfinkel obviously confirming that that was, in fact, a uniform design. You see a nice orange that outlining the colors, simpler, more traditional, but you still have that same aqua color that has been around for the past several years. Now, the Dolphins tweaking their uniforms, they cannot touch them again for another five years. Initial reactions, Houts, on the uniforms. Yeah, I tweeted it out, and it might be corny, but uh, it looks like the team went from standard definition to high def. I mean, just removing that darker shade of blue or black, whatever it was between the the two colors, it's just a world of a difference. It looks like an homage back to that freaking throwback that we all love. We we know we want that, that old-school dolphin on the helmet, but, I mean, th- this is the best of both worlds. I think the jerseys are slick as shit. I know that uh, coming out, it was supposed to be a minor change, something that really won't be that noticeable, and I think anyone who's a fan of the Miami Dolphins, they can see a significant difference between these jerseys and the ones from years past. So, I mean, it's just a uniform. You got to see the team perform on the field, but I'm excited. I, I enjoyed the change. And, I mean, hopefully in five years they're going to those throwbacks that we all love. But for now, this is one of the best uniforms they've had in, in recent memory, if not my entire life. Yeah, it seems kind of like a segue to going back towards the more traditional – uh, logos and um, color color schemes that we had going on before. So I, I like the subtle change. It's it's not a big difference for me. Um, it seems like every jersey I, I've, I have a Ricky Williams jersey right before he retired, and uh, so I I kind of have bad luck with jerseys. So I, I think I might avoid buying a jersey at this point. But like Matt said, five years locked in. If there's somebody, you know, maybe in this first round, if we go up and snag Baker Mayfield, 
I might be getting a Baker Mayfield jersey. What do you think, Houts? Dude, if the Dolphins draft Baker Mayfield, I think we'll all get his jersey. And I have to – I feel you, man. I had a Brandon Marshall jersey. I had a Ted Ginn jersey. I had a freaking J.H.I. jersey. I had a Jarvis Slander jersey. So it might be time for me to just stop buying jerseys. But, I mean, if they somehow get Baker Mayfield, I'll be running through the streets naked. And I will absolutely buy it. <laughs> oh, man. Great. That's, that's amazing. Uh, I think I'm done with the jerseys too. Um, you know, I'm 31. Not, Oh God, am I 31 or 30? I don't even know if I'm 30 or 31. I think I'm 31. Uh, let me just pull up the calculator right quick here. 2018, 2017 minus 19. Hey, I'm 31 years old. I'll be 32 in September. But uh, for me, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm going to buy jerseys anymore. One, I have terrible luck with them, like all of you and probably everyone else. It always feels like any jersey I get, they're off the team within a few years. My wife bought me an Adamic and Sue jersey for Christmas a few years ago when he first signed with the Dolphins, and obviously that jersey is no longer good. Um, I bought a fake Ryan Tannehill jersey from China, and go figure, thats he's the longest person that's lasted on the Dolphins with the jerseys that I have. I have a whole collection of them where players are no longer on the team. But so, you know, for that reason and for other reasons as well, I think I'm done buying jerseys. I'm just going to buy the team gear. I'm sure they'll have some sweet designs coming out with the new uniform tweaks, which I absolutely love, by the way. You know, people say, why don't they go to the uniforms, the old ones, the throwback ones full time? And I think those are sweet uniforms. But I think if you were to wear them, right? Eight times a year or whatever it's going to be. I think then that becomes a new normal and people aren't as excited over them. I mean, can you have a sustainable uniform for five years where people are excited about it every single time they see it? I'm not too sure about that. I mean, if the design is really crazy, nice, yeah, you can get excited about it. But I think everyone loves the throwback so much because it's different twice a year. And it's, you know, going towards the old tradition twice a year and that nostalgia twice a year. So I think the way they're doing it now just feeds people more and more and more about the old uniforms. I think it's a fantastic business decision because I think they'll keep selling more merchandise with the old throwback uniforms. And for five more years, these are the uniforms that Dolphins have. Perhaps in another five years, who knows what the technology will be with uniforms at that time. We'll just have to wait and see. I'll be almost 40 years old. That's crazy. My kid will be eight years old. My other kid will be six years old, if I can add right. And who knows where I'll be. My wife wants to move to Florida, so maybe I'll be down in Florida. We'll see. All right. Any last words on the uniform tweaks? Nap. Let's get to the draft. All right, let's jump right into the draft. We are joined by Dan Kadar from SB Nation, the NFL draft editor at Mocking the Draft. Dan, thank you for joining us here on Finsider Radio. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, Dan, let's jump right to this. We're going to ask you a few questions about the middle round, guys. We've been talking a lot about the first round, second round on our show the past few weeks. But I do need to ask you this. What is the latest information you have been hearing about the general first round, more importantly, though, the top 10 where the Dolphins seem to be having a lot of smoke thrown their way right now. Well, it's, it's real fascinating just starting at the top with the Cleveland Browns where, you know, in years past when the Browns have had these high first-round picks, you, you've heard a lot about who they're leaning toward at this point. And they have a new general manager, John Dorsey, and 
he shut it down, and we're just not figuring out who the Browns are going to take, whether it's Josh Allen, which would be a bad idea, or Sam Darnold, which would be a pretty good idea. So, you know, once you try and figure that out, it's a it's a snowball thing. You know, it seems like the Jets love Baker Mayfield. It seems like the, the Broncos want a quarterback, but we'll see if there's one there. You know, if, if, if quarterbacks go with the first four picks, you know, what, what are the Giants going to do? So it, it's real interesting. And obviously the way that all benefits Miami is there's all these quarterbacks who are going to go before the 11th pick. And if you're in the camp of people who don't think the Dolphins should take a quarterback, and there's, there's two camps here, it kind of seems like they're going to get a heck of a player at 11, whether that's someone like Minka Fitzpatrick of Alabama falling, maybe Derwin James of Florida State is there, or, or maybe somehow, some way, either Roquan Smith or, or Tremaine Edmonds are there. So it, it's interesting. I, I think this, this there's so many teams at the top that need quarterbacks, and there's so many quarterbacks that there's going to be a ton of really good players you know, dropping back into the – Eight, nine, ten, eleven range. We've heard all the smoke about Josh Rosen, Baker Mayfield, the Miami Dolphins love for them. We've heard about the rumors of them possibly trading up to the sixth or fifth round pick. We're going to jump on that in just a few minutes. But going back to your recent mock drafts, I believe you've put out three of them so far. One of them being the SB Nation Riders mock draft, and that one mm-hmm. it had Roquan Smith coming to the Dolphins. In your most recent one, I believe it had Derwin James coming to the Dolphins, and another one it had Vitavea coming to the Dolphins. Now, for you, when you're putting your mock drafts together, uh, three different guys, obviously, so is it, A, what you would do if you were GM, or B, is it based on what you're hearing around the league at that time that you put your mock drafts together? I'll tell you, the the Vita Vea one and the Roquan Smith one are what, they're, they're what I would do. The Derwin James one was more of a what I think can happen. Well, I guess that's the same thing. Yeah, that's the same thing. So that that sounds (laughs) dumb, but um, look, here's the thing with with the Dolphins. They're in a strange spot where you can conceivably argue that they need a defensive tackle now that Sue's gone. And I I think it was smart, by the way, that they got rid of Sue. The, The safety thing is fascinating. And, I know they have McDonald. I know they have Rashad Jones. I, I love Rashad Jones. I loved him coming out of Georgia. Derwin James can play with those guys. I, there's been a lot written I've seen lately about how Derwin James would just be another version of those two, and those two kind of play the same box safety position already. Well, Derwin James only played that at Florida State because they told him to. Uh, to me, he's a super freaky athlete that can – that can drop and play safety just fine. I think in dime situations, he's going to be your middle linebacker maybe. So to me, the the whole Derwin James doesn't fit with Miami thing is kind of silly. Um, I, I think he fits just fine. And the other one, Roquan Smith, I mean, good Lord, that, that one is just – that that's so obvious. I, he's such a great fit. He's an excellent football player. I, to me, you know, I, we, we've seen the past couple of years, like, Linebacker like Telvin Smith, for instance, get picked by the Jaguars. Just this crazy athlete who flies all over the field and just crushes people. Is he get, is he great at getting off blocks? No. But the the athleticism is so crazy 
that, that that's the modern NFL linebacker to me. And Roquan Smith is the best version of this modern NFL linebacker. So in conclusion, to answer the, your question in a very long roundabout way, it, it's always kind of a mixture of both, you know, what, what you're hearing and what you think should happen. And, you know, some picks tend to be more what you're hearing and some picks just tend to be more, shoot, I don't hear anything about these guys. And this just makes sense. So, to me, I think Miami is a little more the latter sometimes. Thanks again for joining us tonight. I have a question. I know the, the first round is obviously where the intrigue is, especially with all the excitement coming up, the NFL draft starting on Thursday. But let's let's think big picture about this draft class and where do you see – which positions do you see are particularly deep that uh, – the Dolphins maybe in the late day two, early day three stages could find some value. Which positions do you like? Well, the the thing with, with safety again here is there are a bunch of good coverage safeties that are going to be, they're going to be day two picks, I think. So to me that, that starts with Jesse Bates of Wake Forest. I think he's an excellent coverage safety. He's not never, you should never put him in the box kind of struggles at times against tight ends, but he can work out of the slot and, and play, you know, cover four, I think, pretty well. So you have Jesse Bates. I think Justin Reed at Stanford is pretty good. I think Deshaun Elliott of Texas, if you can get him to figure out how to read a play just a little bit faster, I think he's a good coverage guy. So, you know, Armani Watts at Texas A&M is in there too. So, to me, coverage safety is in there. I think Defensive line is a little tougher, you know, because there's a ton of top-heavy guys on defensive line, but they're they're first-rounders. But other than Via Vea, maybe not in the 11 range. So that might be tough, I think, for Miami if if they want to go day two. Down day three, defensive linemen, there are some options there. You know, you got all these Florida guys, actually. R.J. McIntosh, Derek Noddy. You know, DeAndre and Sanat from South Florida. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, And, you know, if if you want to think about a quarterback or depth receivers or running backs, obviously those, the latter two are are pretty stacked and quarterback is pretty light. And linebackers, you know, there's always going to be linebackers. I think once you get into the second and third day, it's, it's more of a niche group where you're specifically picking a guy for a trait and, one thing he can do. There's never any great real all-around linebackers later on in the draft. We're joined by Dan Kadar here on Finsider Radio at Mocking the Draft, SB Nation, NFL Draft Editor. Houts, take it away. Dan Houts here, big fan of your work. Uh, My question for you is, who are some of your favorite sleepers in this year's draft? You named some of the first-round guys. Uh, You touched on some of the players that the Dolphins could have been. Who are some of your favorite sleepers in this draft and some of those guys that might be taken on day three that some people that, you know, don't dig too deep into the draft might not have ever heard of? You know, it's funny you mentioned that, actually, because earlier this week on on SB Nation, I I published my eight sleepers. And, you know, I, I get this assignment every year. And at this point, this late in April, I kind of feel like sleepers are always like, uncovered and everybody knows about all these players. So I tried to pick out a few that are just, I think, interesting football players that could stick on a football team, right? So I like Rock Thomas 
He's a running back from Jacksonville State who's just like a, um, I don't know, he's kind of like Ronald Jones light, if you will. I think he's pretty good. I'm fascinated by Leon Jacobs of Wisconsin. He's a linebacker and an edge rusher who is built like a superhero, but he was never all that productive, but he sure is a, a really great athlete. Um, I like Alex Kappa, the offense tackle from Humboldt State, who I, I think with the right kind of coaching, I think he can be a starting NFL tackle. Same with Michael Joseph, a cornerback from Dubuque, which is a Division three school. He has a really cool backstory where he gained something like 40 pounds out of high school, and he skipped his first year of college football at Dubuque just to get stronger. And then he became like the Division three Defensive Player of the Year last season, did really well at the Senior Bowl. He's like six, six foot or six two, something like that. Um, so he has length and all, and all that sort of stuff. So he he's good. Um, so there there are some interesting sleepers, and we'll, we'll see if any of the guys we just mentioned get drafted. I think Kappa will for sure. Um, the other guys we'll see, but there, there's always interesting players. Like there's a six foot eight rugby player who's going to try to play offensive tackle in the NFL. And he's a great athlete. It's like take a flyer on that and, and like stash him somehow on your practice squad and see if you can trail him to like the next Alejandro Villanueva. Those, those are the type of players <laughs> that I, I, I think are fascinating. One more question, Dan. Uh, Dolphins obviously have a need for a quarterback, someone to groom behind Tannehill. They have a desperate need mm-hmm. for a tight end. Say they don't get a quarterback – or trade up for one of the top quarterbacks in this draft. Uh, what are one of those mid-range guys that you would target if you were the Dolphins, and what would you do at tight end, assuming that they don't take one at 11, which, in everyone's opinion, could be a reach? Yeah, the, the quarterback class this year, it's, it's so high and heavy at the top. And then there's Mason Rudolph, and then, boy, does it fall off a cliff. So <laughs> I, I think if you're Miami – you you think about someone like Mike White of Western Kentucky, who's a just a big, strong arm kid that that plays out of the pocket pretty well, but he's not a, a great athlete. Um, you could take Kyle Alletta from Richmond, maybe screw over the Patriots and their future quarterback plans. He, he's he's pretty solid in, in the in the Kirk Cousins type of mold, where he's never going to blow you away with his physical stuff, but he just kind of. He just gets it done with, with what he has, and he's smart. So those are a couple of guys I would think about. Maybe throw Kirk Benkert of Virginia in there. Um, maybe Logan Woodside of Toledo, kind of as a very late day three type of players and tight end. Boy, this is a good tight end class. You know, if, if you miss out on the top four, which to me is Mark Andrews, Dallas Goddard, Mike Kosicki, and Hayden Hurst, you can always come back with, you know, Dalton Schultz of Stanford is pretty solid. Not great, but he's solid. Uh, the Miami guy, Christopher Herndon, he, he's a good athlete, and I, I think he might be a better pro than college player. I think he'll get a better opportunity in the NFL than he got at Miami. He's, he's pretty solid. The Ian Thomas from Indiana, there's a lot of people that like him. So maybe, maybe day three he might be in that kind of conversation. And Marcus Ball of Ohio State is another one to keep in mind. He's another one of these tight ends. Urban Meyer, the head coach at Ohio State, he is terrible 
at getting his tight ends involved in the offense there. He just is. But Marcus Baugh is a guy who is a really good athlete, I think, for a player his size and his build. I think he's a player to really watch on on day three of the draft. And if you can get him, maybe he's your second tight end, solid blocker, can work his team a little bit. Pretty, Pretty okay player. All right, Dan, gun to your head. Last question for you. Gun to your head. Just a few days away from the NFL draft, who is the Dolphins' pick at number 11 on Thursday night? Wow. Um, I'm going to go with Derwin James just because I, I think he can do the safety stuff and he can do the linebacker stuff. And I, I, I really hope when mm. people think of him, they just don't think he's redundant with the players that they have because he's just a really special athlete. And I, I think you can do – anything you want with him. You know, like I, I spent a fair amount of time with Florida State players at the Combine this year. And one of them, I, I asked, what do you do with Derwin James in the NFL? One of them said, I would play him at weak side linebacker. Another one said, I would play him at middle linebacker. And Derwin James said, man, I'm a safety. So you can just do so much with him that I, I don't care if you have TJ McDonald and Rashad Jones, good players, Derwin James can can line up and do whatever you want. So I'm I'm going to say him for now, but of course I'll change it by the time the draft comes around. <laughs> well, I think Derwin James is something certainly all Dolphins fans can jump on board with, except you know those who really want a Josh Rosen or Baker Mayfield type. Dan Kadar from SB Nation, the NFL Draft editor. Follow him on Twitter at mocking the draft. Dan, thank you for joining us tonight here on Finsider Radio. Great, thanks for having me, guys. And that was Dan Kadar from SB Nation. We thank Dan for taking time out of his busy schedule to join us. Some interesting thoughts there from Dan. We've talked a lot about a lot of different scenarios over the past several weeks. We can't really get into all of that in one show in terms of everything we've talked about. We've talked tight ends. We've talked linebackers. We've talked secondary. We've talked a little about quarterbacks. We've touched on almost everything. What we haven't really focused on, boys, is the middle rounds. We've talked a ton about the first round. We've talked a lot about the second round. We have not really sat down and talked about rounds three, four, five, where the Dolphins and a lot of NFL teams really end up building their team that way. With all this smoke about the Dolphins possibly trading up for Josh Rosen or Baker Mayfield if he falls, if the Jets don't get him, or they don't draft him, I should say. Can the Dolphins salvage their draft? If they moved up for a quarterback, the hot rumor right now is that they'd have to give up their second round pick this year to move up a few spots to get their quarterback. They'd be then left with a third, fourth, fifth, and so forth. If they didn't trade up for a quarterback, they would then be hitting up, let's say, linebacker or safety in the first round, tight end in the second round, possibly quarterback running back in the third round, or even linebacker safety in the second round, tight end in the third round, quarterback in the fourth round. Who knows? They have plenty of options on the table there if they don't trade up for a quarterback or take a quarterback in the first round. If they get that quarterback, they're sacrificing something, especially if they have to trade up. Obviously, if you take Josh Rosen at 11, you can still turn around and get your linebacker or safety in round two, which I believe would be a defensive back, a hybrid guy, because that is basically your linebacker which also makes me think that at 11, they truly want that hybrid guy because you're basically killing two positions with one. Because you get a Derwin James, you get a Minka Fitzpatrick. Both of them are chess pieces. Both of them, you can move them all around the field. Derwin more in the box type. Minka more 
move them around in the secondary wherever you want to be. So I could totally see both sides of this where, A, you can get your quarterback of the future. Some say Tannehill is the quarterback of the future, but no one knows for sure. No one knows if Josh Rosen or Baker Mayfield is either. Or B, you can sit tight where you are. You can get your hybrid guy. You can fill your two positions with one stone. You can then get a tight end. You can then get your quarterback in the third round. You're running back in the fourth round and so forth. But for you, Sutton, right, let's just say things go the way they're going to go. What two players are you looking at in the middle rounds? Okay, just to kind of speak to your bigger context of the NFL draft, possibly trading up. You can't rule it out. And obviously the quarterback position is so important. And we are in a fragile enough state uh, long term that you have to consider it. Can we salvage the draft if we move up to get a quarterback? You know, it depends what we gave up. Did we give up the, a, a second and a third round pick? Are, are we competing with Buffalo to, to get up to that spot? Are we, are we sacrificing a first rounder the next year? It would all depend on what we're giving up. But say we give up that second round draft pick in order to move up to get a quarterback. I think that puts us in a in a spot where we're saying, you know what, this draft is about the future. This draft isn't necessarily about this year because clearly you just moved up to draft a quarterback. So you are kind of mortgaging this draft in a sense uh, for the long term future. And that's not a bad thing. I'm just saying that you're not going to get immediate dividends out of that draft class in all likelihood. But one way to overcompensate for that, and and when I look at the draft just kind of uh, as a – in the big picture is w- when you're looking at investing in a first-round draft pick, it's almost impo- as important to avoid a bad pick as it is to nail a good pick. And by that, I mean it can be absolutely devastating to have that kind of draft capital to have a, say you have a top 10 pick and you invest in a guy that just completely whiffs like Deion Jordan did for us. That was a crucial point in our organization's trajectory right there, uh, just that investment. And on the flip side of that, you can overcompensate for some whiffs earlier in the draft if you can find guys in the middle rounds. And frankly, we've had some pretty decent success uh, in the third, fourth, fifth rounds. Rashad Jones immediately comes to mind. If you can get a Rashad Jones out of your draft class in the middle rounds, that drastically affects how you rate the overall draft class because you already have a – you're writing in 10. A fifth-round safety is one of your better players on the entire roster. I mean, those types of hits in the draft can really – Uh, dictate how organizations move going forward. So if you're looking specifically at some guys in this year's draft, I'm just going to throw out a few names, and I'm going to touch on these guys real quick. Um, So we have a guy named James Looney out of Cal. He's a a defensive tackle, and these are all guys that are going to be in the third to fifth round range. And obviously, depending on the draft guides that you use, Uh, You might see these players elevated by some and perhaps significantly lower than what we're talking about. But the players that we're going to talk about tonight on Finsider Radio are guys that we think uh, will be available in the mid-rounds. James Looney is one of those guys uh, in the mid-rounds, and 
Dan Kadar, when he was on with us, talked about it just a little bit uh, about when, when you're looking at day two, late day two, day three guys, you can look for specific traits. And James Looney is one of those guys uh, with the pass rush skill set that I like. Uh, he's a little bit smaller. He's 6'3", 287. But when you're looking at our defensive tackle rotation, you look at Phillips, you look at Godshaw, Vincent Taylor. I think one of the skill sets that's missing there is one of those smaller, uh, slippery guys that can uh, be disruptive in the interior in terms of a pass rush. And I think James Looney might be able to afford us that. He's he's pretty athletic, big guy. Uh, you have a guy, and from the research that I've seen, I know Dan was not as high on some of the late-round talent on the defensive line. From the research that I've seen, defensive line is one of the better positions uh, to find later in the draft. And one guy that I like is Kylie Fitz out of Utah, 6'3", 260. Uh, Kyle Krabs, our buddy over at NDT Scouting, compares him to Jason Babin. So I think he does have uh, the pass rush motor aspect uh, to what we're looking for coming off the edge there. So I think he could at least offer us some, some third down pass rushing there, uh, especially if we're talking about moving William Hayes inside a D tackle and getting more of a pass rush in that sense. So being able to, to keep Cam Wake fresh, throughout the year if we can get a pass rush specialist so to speak like Kylie Fitz that would go that would go a long way and he he has some potential to maybe even play Sam linebacker too Uh, so I think that would be an interesting uh a day two guy a guy that uh, Chris Kaufman that has mentioned quite a few times CK pair on Twitter Kyle Laletta out of Richmond one of the quarterbacks and Dan mentioned him tonight too uh, perhaps not the highest ceiling guy, but a pretty high floor guy, smart guy. Uh, almost reminds me of Dan Orlovsky a little bit that we had on the show uh, a few few weeks ago in terms of just being a smart, poised, going through your progressions, accurate guy, not going to light the world on fire, pushing the ball down the field, but it's going to make smart decisions and the short intermediate throws. And then you have a guy at running back. I'm going to talk about two running backs just because, uh, yes, we do have Kenny Drake, and, yes, we signed Frank Gore, but I think uh, Frank Gore obviously only has so much left in the tank, and we're going to need a committee approach here. You're looking at Justin Jackson out of Northwestern, and he's one of these guys uh, that I think could fill the Damian Williams role that we had. He's probably going to be more of a pass-catching running back for us and has a little bit of work to do in terms of pass blocking and being a short yard back. Uh, But he's an excellent receiver out of the backfield. He's got quick feet, uh, runs with balance. So I think he's a, maybe not the highest ceiling guy again, but a high floor. He's, he's well-rounded. So he's, he's not one of those guys that has uh, super uh, elite qualities in any one particular trait but he's well-rounded enough that I think he's a sound investment in the fourth and fifth round. And you can, you can really make a case for quite a few running backs in this class, I think. And I'll, I'll talk about a different guy, Carrion Johnson out of Auburn. He's a little bit different where he's probably going to fit better in a zone blocking scheme. And we don't know at this point how the offensive line, if it's going to be more of a zone blocking scheme or if we're going to go uh, more, uh, a power man scheme, or if it's going to be a hybrid, I, I'm guessing it's going to be a mix of the two, but 
carry on Johnson out of Auburn is probably one of the better zone blocking running backs that you could find uh, in day two, late day three. He's a patient runner. He may not be ready for the third down role right now, which might limit some of his value because he's fairly behind in the blocking sense, but that's not something that NFL coaches are unprepared for. They realize that most college running backs are not prepared to block on third down at an NFL level. But you're looking at, again, a, a comp from our buddy Kyle Krabs, a comp of Tevin, Tevin Coleman. And, and so I think that's an admirable uh, comp to have investing in the fourth round, possibly third round, on someone like Kerryon Johnson, who has tremendous balance, can absorb contact, and he's pretty slippery. So I think he could help us in some short yardage situations and, and, and he's a good enough catcher out of the backfield that he has some three down running back qualities. You mentioned carry on Johnson Sutton and some are saying he might go towards round two. Some are saying he might go late rounds one. I don't think he will. I, I do think that he will go in the second round perhaps, but it just goes. And I know I'm going to talk about a running back in a few minutes. And so was Houts. But all these running backs just goes to show that it's really a dime a dozen position in the NFL. You really don't need an elite running back early in the draft, which makes me think that the Giants won't take Saquon Barkley. Zeke Elliott, even, I mean, did he? he's a great player. He helps the Cowboys offense. Yes, absolutely. Tremendous talent. Adrian Peterson, when he came out, tremendous talent. But did either of them help lead their teams to the Super Bowl? No. Um, you can stuff the box and really shut down the run game if you devote all your resources to it and force the quarterback to beat you in the air. Now, with Saquon Barkley on a team with Aaron Rodgers, right, or Tom Brady, would that be the end of it? I mean, you can't. If you stack the box, they're going to kill you in the air. If you stay back, the running back's going to beat you on the ground. So, you know, when you're looking at where running backs should go in the draft and how we'll touch on it more in just a moment. You know, you really have a lot to choose from there. So how you know, starting with your running back and then moving forward, you know, what are you looking at for the middle round guys? Yeah, I might be one of the few around that do believe that if you have that elite running back talent, that it can make everything better world of a difference for the offense. I know you touched on Squam Barkley with the giants. I think that's a missing piece that they needed since, you know, Amon Bradshaw's the last running back I can really remember that the Giants had. And I think if you get a Saquon Barkley, a guy that's every bit as good, well, I can't say that. Ezekiel Elliott's one of the best backs I've ever seen come out of college. But he's up there with Ezekiel Elliott's, and I think if the Giants have a chance to take him, they have to. For me, the late-round running back that I kind of want to touch on is Royce Freeman. He's one of those guys that when you're watching film, he's kind of that thick build, almost like a C.J. Anderson, who we all know the the Miami Dolphins. and most importantly, Adam Gase loves. And I mean, I think he's still in the Dolphins radar. So we keep talking about running backs. It could all be for not if the Dolphins decide to go after CJ Anderson, but Royce Freeman, he's a guy who uh, he, he made plays at Oregon runs a 4.5, uh, just can do everything. I mean, he can catch the ball to the backfield. He'd be a perfect complimentary back to Kenyon Drake. And I think he's one of those guys that's going to fall to the third or fourth round. Uh, tremendous field vision. Uh, 
he can do it all. And I mean, that's kind of what the Dolphins need. They need a guy that can come in there. They got Kenyon Drake who they can split out wide. Uh, he can be a weapon on the outside, but you need that big back. You can just bulldoze up the middle. And yes, Kenyon Drake can do it, but I, I think you need to bring in a guy like Royce Freeman or, I mean, like Sutton said, you, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned Justin Jackson, who's a, is a decent player and a guy who I like. So, I mean, you got the Royce Freemans, you got the Bo Scarboroughs, the guy from uh, the guy from Alabama, who we all know Adam Gase has contact with, uh, Nick Saban, the history's there. So, I mean, there's plenty of running backs in this draft. I think it's one of the, the classes that have the most talent in, and I don't think the Dolphins need to go after a day two guy. I think they can wait till the third round, uh, day three, and, and get one of those guys and come in and do the things they need to do. Uh, Dan touched on a quarterback, Kurt Bankert, guy from Virginia. Uh, good talent. I know he grew up a Dolphins fan. Uh, Dolphins have had tons of contact with him. He's a guy that's been on the Dolphins' radar. I think he's a guy that the Dolphins could bring in. If they don't go after that first-round quarterback, which every day you hear something new, I don't think Baker Mayfield will be there. He might be the one guy that I'm banging the table for that I would trade up and give up whatever assets needed. I'm not sure I would do the same with Josh Rosen. However, I do think that that might be Adam Gase's guy. And I, I do think that if he falls to six, as much as some of us don't want a quarterback, as much as we see these other needs, if that's Adam Gase's guy and he's he's the guy that the Dolphins believe they can build their future on, uh, who's to say what the compensation's worth? I mean, you touched on it, a second rounder this year, maybe even a future pick. I, I think if that's Adam Gase's guy and he's beating the table over and over again, I think the Dolphins got to do it. And something I was thinking about earlier today, I mean, you give up a second rounder maybe next year instead, you could recoup that then with Ryan Tannehill next year. If he does ball out, he does have a healthy season. That's a pick then something that you need to look look for because, I mean, we saw what Alex Smith netted. You can't tell me that Ryan Tannehill, if he comes back healthy, can't net something similar. So uh, that's just a little bit of there with that quarterback talk. All right, so you know you have your guys there in the middle rounds. I'm going to talk about a few other guys as well. Most notably, defensive tackle Fororanzo Fatukasi. And I said that with an accent, and it's probably not supposed to be pronounced with an accent, so I'm going to say without an accent. Very sexy. Full, full, <laughs> thanks. Fororanzo Fatukasi. And he is a defensive tackle from the University of Connecticut right in here in my backyard. But what really strikes me about Fororanzo is his ability to play both the 4-3 scheme and the 3-4 scheme. I've said a few times that the Dolphins may be looking to go towards a 3-4 scheme in the near future. Um, I don't know if they'll ever eventually get to it, but he is someone who could play in multiple schemes. And in terms of, you know, defenses nowadays, you have a lot of hybrid stuff going on. There's really not a straight 4-3, really not a straight 3-4 that you see. It's really a mix of the two. And then you're also getting a lot of the nickel and the dime packages. Fuller Runzo was a two-star defensive tackle recruit. Um, people call him Foley. If you want to go with that, Foley uh, Fatukasi grew up in Queens, New York. When he came to Connecticut, he was under-recruited. He was injured most of his junior season in high school. And he only had Buffalo as the other offer over with Connecticut. Redshirted in 2013. And then as a redshirt freshman, posted 31 tackles and then continued to improve from there, eventually getting invited to the 2018 East-West Shrine game. Strength and weaknesses. Let's talk about that for a second. Long arms, large hands. Obviously very important for an NFL player, more important for a defensive tackle. 
when the ball is snapped, he is able to jar blockers off balance with his heavy hands. The violent impact you get at that line of scrimmage, he is absolutely perfect at that. Dane Brugler, one of the best NFL evaluators around that's not in a front office, describes Butukasi as someone who snatches and tosses bodies, controlling the point of the attack. They say he's a natural GPS locator for the run lane. Now, Foley, as his nickname is, like I said, he's very violent. He has relentless motor and doesn't give up pursuit. Countable teammate, which the Dolphins really want to see, and carries himself with a positive attitude. His weaknesses is a little stiff. He doesn't have great range to make the plays in between the hashes. And when he gets tied up, according to Dane Brugler, he ends up on the ground a bit. Now, Foley resorts to power over technique the longer the play lasts, which we saw also with Jordan Phillips when Phillips first came into the NFL. Foley is someone that they can compare him to in terms of the development that's needed. The summary, according to Dane Brugler, he served as a nose tackle on the Huskies' three-man front, also lining up at three technique and five technique and sub-packages. While his stat sheet won't turn any heads, the tape is a totally different story, shutting down interior run lanes with his mix of power and quickness. Overall, Fatu Kasi is a rough around the edges, but he has a stubborn power to reset the line of scrimmage, and the vision hands the two-gap projecting as a scheme-diverse NFL starter as a nose tackle or a five-technique end. Brugler projects that he's going to go in the third round. My other guy that I'm going to talk about right now before we get to our sleepers is John Kelly from Tennessee, running back, who's projected to go in the fourth round. So here's the background and the strengths and the weaknesses, according to Dane Brugler, and that's the scouting guide we're going off of tonight, at least for as far as me. Brugler says that John Kelly is a highly competitive tackle breaker, compact build and balanced feet to bounce, bounce off contact, Legs are always pumping and never content as a runner. Sharp plant and go quickness with lateral mobility. Here's the most important part, which is why Adam Gase got rid of Jay Ajayi. He's decisive at the line of scrimmage. And he secures the football with only three career fumbles. Adam Gase likes smart players who knows how to make a decision at the line of scrimmage, especially with his running backs, and just hits the holes and move down. He's an aggressive blocker and won't back down at the point of attack. Workhorse mentality. Everything that Adam Gase simply loves. Here's the biggest point, too. He's a dependable receiver to be a catch-and-go threat with potentially more than simply a screen target. He tied for the team leading catches in 2017 at Tennessee and a team captain who connects well with his teammates and carries himself, get this, Brugler says, like an alpha. Now, when I was looking at all these running backs and and reading the research and grading them all out based on all the draft guys we've gotten, boys, I really wanted to make sure that the one I picked fit in line with the Dolphins' line of thinking. And all of that, which just described John Kelly, is exactly what the Dolphins like to see. Now, his weaknesses, he lacks ideal size and body armor for the position, not graceful through small creases, and lacks wiggle in the open field. Sometimes he does get tunnel vision and is late to locate developing lanes. But in a rotation with Kenya Drake, and if you put Frank Gore in this year, I think it's someone who does not rely to be the bell cow running back who can rotate in and out and learn and develop these things as he continues in the NFL. The summary from Brugler, a fearless ball carrier, Kelly runs with a forceful momentum and tacklers better finish him to the ground 
because he won't let them off easy. Credits his balance and courage to his days as an accomplished skateboarder in high school. Athletically averaged by NFL standards and lacks creativity, wiggle, and tight quarters. But overall, Kelly is a competitive, full-speed-ahead ball carrier with contact balance, toughness, and receiving blocking traits that project him as a reliable horse in the backfield. Again, fourth-round projection. Okay, let's go to our sleepers. Certain, who is your one sleeper in the NFL draft that the Dolphins will be in love with? I'm going to rewind to a show we did a few weeks ago when we were talking about the secondary, and I'm going to go a guy named Jeremy Reeves out of South Alabama. Dan mentioned that the coverage safety groups was one of the uh, fairly deep positions this year in the draft, and Jeremy Reeves was one of those guys that I really liked in the sense that we were talking about what Derwin and Minka might offer us in terms of versatility. Well, one of those things that we kind of lack uh, in TJ and Rashad right now is that deep cover, that free safety type that's going to be able to be the last line of defense and let Rashad and TJ really maximize their strengths playing near the line of scrimmage. And so I think he's one of those players in Reeves that he's going to be able to unlock people that we already have on the roster, which I think is a very profitable way uh, to think about how we've constructed things so far. So if we're able to land someone like Jeremy Reeves, somebody with some uh, center field ability, I think we're going to be in a good shape in the safety group uh, in the sense that we're going to be able to use TJ and Rashad in that hybrid linebacker safety mold and be able to highlight players that we already have. How's your sleeper for the Miami Dolphins in the middle rounds of the draft? Yeah, for me, I like what Sutton said. I like what Dan said when he mentioned Derwin James and just how he does it all. He can play linebacker, can play safety. Uh, assuming that you get a guy like that, you get a, a true natural safety that can play other positions and allow the other guys like Rashad Jones and TJ McDonald to roam around. I'm going to go with Mika Kaiser, uh, linebacker from Virginia. I know I'm sticking with the Virginia guys, but I mean, this guy can do it all. He diagnoses the plays well. Very rarely he's out of position, always makes a tackle. I think the production at uh, three years when he was with Virginia at 397 tackles, 33 and a half tackles for losses, 19 sacks and eight forced fumbles. So, I mean, this guy can do it all. He's projected to be a fourth or fifth round pick. He's a tough guy. He loves contact, uh, always fills the holes, and, and just is always around the football. So he's a guy that – I know you're touching alpha males, he's touching these football guys. He seems to fit that description. One other name I want to throw out there, safety from Penn State, Troy Apke, uh, ran a 4-3-4 at the combine. He's a guy who's projected seventh round, maybe even undrafted, but the guy's a ball hawk. He, he's quick. He's always around the football. He only had one year of production, but he's a guy that I'm going to look for in the seventh round and maybe undrafted. So those are two guys that I'm really interested in. Mika Kaiser, I think he's going to be a great player. Uh, might even creep up into that third round, maybe a day two guy. But ultimately, he's one of them guys that's just going to come in, could could uh, potentially become a starter year one. And ultimately, he he's a player that's not done growing. I can see him doing great things in the NFL. And I'm going to go with cornerback Levi Wallace from Alabama. Summary from Dane Brugler here was the rear walk-on for the Tide who paid his dues over the first four years in Tuscaloosa beating out several five-star players for a starting role left cornerback in 2017. Was the conference leader in passes defended last season, earned SEC Defensive Player of the Week honors twice as a senior, 
and proved to be an integral part of Alabama's national championship season. He's a silky smooth athlete with ball awareness and hand technique to suffocate the catch point from press or off coverage. He has clear strength and size issues as a run defender, but competitive toughness is not a concern. Overall, Wallace is a remarkable underdog story, but his football journey is far from over, displaying the athletic skill set and ball production that translates to the NFL. Great on him as a fourth to fifth round. I want to make this very clear to everybody listening. Sounds like we're kind of just reading off a little bit here, but I can assure you that everything that we've looked at in terms of these players who the Dolphins could possibly target fits well in line with their philosophy and and thoughts and trainings and how they want to approach this draft. Here's what I'll tell you. The latest information that I have is this. We've all heard the rumors about a quarterback. Yes. Josh Rosen, I can tell you, is their QB1 on their draft board. Baker Mayfield is their QB2. I'm then told it's Tremaine Edmonds and Minka Fitzpatrick right after that. They prefer Tremaine over Roquan, and they prefer Minka over Derwin. It's not to say they won't take Roquan and they won't take Derwin. I'm sure they absolutely will if he's there at at 11. But if those four guys are on the board and no quarterbacks are left, the order is Tremaine, Minka, and then I don't know what it is. I think it's Derwin, and then it's Roquan if I had to guess those last two. Then their backup plan is Vita Vea. And I know a lot of people don't want to hear that, but it is. And whether that's a trade down or they pick him at 11 remains to be seen. I know they also do like Leighton Vander Esch, but obviously you're not going to pick him at 11 or that's a not a tremendous reach, but that is a bit of a reach there. You can get him in the middle part of the first round and trade down a few spots. Assuming they don't go quarterback in the first round, their second round plan is tight end. Their third round plan is quarterback or running back. Their fourth round plan is quarterback or running back. Fifth round plan is defensive tackle or best player available throughout the rest of the draft. That is the absolute latest I have on the Miami Dolphins. We'll be coming to you next week with a lot more information. We're going to be lining up several huge draft NFL insiders so we can get you all the latest and greatest information that's coming our way and your way and throughout the NFL. So, and how's any last words before we sign off for the evening? Yeah, we just, we had one question question on twitter from one of our buddies over in europe you know we have a big european following matthew i know you're not that great at geography so it's that place across (laughs) the arctic ocean where the penguins live okay so are we on board here yeah so this is gareth and he's asking us he's asking us what what we think about the fullback position do we think uh it could find a resurgence um the only thing that i'll tell gareth is that I believe that NFL coaches would absolutely use fullbacks, and I think we still use we still see some teams use fullbacks in very niche situations and very important situations. But I think where it's limiting is because of the college game. I don't really think it's a, a byproduct of how NFL offenses evolved. I really think it's how college offenses evolved, and I think college football has really uh, made the fullback obsolete with spread offenses. So there's just not enough players uh, ready for that adjustment to play that specific type of role in the NFL. Uh, But I think as you see defenses go to more nickel dime type situations, you're going to see offensive coordinators combat that with size and you could 
potentially see that in fullback form. Uh, I don't. I love the fullback position, but just does not seem like it's Adam Gase's cup of tea here with the Miami Dolphins. Any lost thoughts, Houts? Yeah, I think the best fullback in this uh, this year's draft is Tavita, Tala, Kiono, Tupolato, Mosee, <laughs> Vahe, Fallopian, Tuve. I think Vita Bay would make a hell of a fullback, and uh, if the Dolphins draft him, that's probably who you'd see, you know, taking those goal line handoffs from the fullback position. That that's great day. insight, House. I appreciate you that was uh, the best, that was the best sharing that with name. us. House is the fullback <laughs> guru of <laughs> Vincent. That's what I could do with his name. I'd like to hear you both. Yep, yep, yep. Well, All right, everybody, boys and girls. That is it for Finside Radio this week. We've touched on the middle rounds. We had Dan Kadar with some great information here from SB Nation. We're less than one week away. We're going to come to you next week. Earlier in the week, we're going to drop this podcast on Wednesday so you can get all the latest news and information and rumors hot off the press. A lot of smoke is coming, but please know this. At this time, NFL teams are going quiet. Very few people have access to any information. If you hear information coming out and they're citing it as gospel in terms of new information, don't believe it or take it with a grain of salt. People are now locked out of the draft rooms. They're locked out of the war rooms. Scouts are starting to get locked out. And it's really just the general manager, your president if you have one, your VP of football ops if you have one, and your head coach. And that is about it over the next several days leading up to the draft. Just be careful out there. I know there's going to be a lot of rumors flying around. Just understand that everything could be smoke. Everything could be the truth. But more than likely, it's all in between. The Dolphins have a lot of tough decisions to make. They can drastically change their team. If they stay put and don't draft a quarterback in round one, or they can firmly set their team up for the future if they go in quarterback round one. We'll see what they do Thursday night. We're going to talk to you before then, though. We're going to give you our final thoughts on the NFL draft at that point. But for this week, I am MC Money, and I was joined here by certain the creepy soccer dad and Rosenhouse. Thank you for listening to Finsider Radio. We'll talk to you next time.
Right now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Amazon has everything for back to school. Zebra lunchbox? Check. Cool Adidas gear like t-shirts, shoes, and backpacks? Check. Triceratops folders and pencils? Check. Lasercat t-shirts? Check. Get your back to school shopping done now at Amazon.com slash back to school and enjoy free shipping on millions of items. No need to leave your home or hassle with crowds. Amazon.com. No better place to get everything back to school from A to Z. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.